If you have a Bible, you can open it to Romans chapter 5. As we continue our series, our study in Romans this morning with a new chapter. We'll put it up on the screen, but I want to read through the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 5, where we'll be this morning. It's Paul again writing to the church in Rome. Oh, there it is. Put that down. Paul's letter to the Roman church, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, say this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. Very, very good news. We're getting to some very enjoyable, good parts of Romans, having gotten through the beginning of Romans, which can feel a little rough. A lot about sin, a lot about condemnation, a lot about what exactly God's wrath uh, means for us and why it is that we're deserving of it. And over the last few weeks, things have gotten more positive. And we've been talking specifically for weeks now about justification by faith. The fact that the Bible tells us, Paul tells us here in Romans, the greatest ever unpacking of the gospel that we have anywhere um, in, in all of existence is right here in Romans, thanks to, thanks to God working through Paul. And he's been talking to us for weeks now about this idea that we aren't actually going to be saved, we aren't saved by anything good that we're able to accomplish ourselves, which is, it turns out, a lot harder for us to hear and to maybe even embrace and celebrate than we would like to think. Uh, because it turns out that we're kind of attached to the idea of, of accomplishment, of self-justification, the idea of what we can do versus what God can do. But instead, Paul tells us the good news um, is that we are justified and saved by faith. And what that means is that we are, as we read right there at the very end of our passage even, we are reconciled and saved by the work of Jesus. So the good news is, uh, if you trust in Jesus, if you trust in the promise of God and what he can do for you, what he has already done for you, then that means that you can have eternal life, you can experience life in the kingdom of God. It means that you can actually uh, be saved. So in a sense, good, great, but what Paul goes on to talk about in our passage this week is the benefits of that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, had something uh, that you've purchased or had something that happened that was good for you, and then you realize down the road that there's these other benefits to that thing that you didn't even really know about. Uh, it could be as simple as free maps from AAA. Uh, just because you needed roadside service, now it turns out you can walk into this place and they'll just give you all the maps that you want. It's a benefit, right? Uh, if you walk into Disneyland uh, after forking over tons of money, they have to give you water anytime you ask for it. Did you know that? You just 
say, I want water, I'm thirsty, and they have to give you water. I think if you shout it to the sky, they have to give it to you because that's something there. They don't want anyone to be thirsty. Although you're not allowed to bring ice in, which is a weird rule. I don't know what the deal is with that or why you would want to bring ice in at Disneyland. But anyway, there are benefits to things uh, that happen for sort of other reasons. And what Paul's talking about starting here is the benefits in the life of a person who's justified by faith. And there's three of them that he points out that we're talking about, that we're looking at this morning. What is so good, anyway, about being a Christian in terms of the lives that we're living here on this earth? Okay, fine, you're saved and you get to go to heaven. Okay, uh, for some people, it's just fire insurance. It's just a safety net. It's just make sure that you don't have to worry about what happens when everything's over. But what about the here and the now? And to that, Paul says, there are tremendous benefits to being a person whose faith is in Jesus and not themselves. Well, what are those benefits? What makes it so good to be a Christian in this life now, not just in the next life to come? There's three things that Paul points out here. The first one is in our very first verse. He says, therefore, and that's a big word, it means that because of all the stuff that has happened up until this point in Romans... Therefore, because of that stuff, since we have been justified by faith, what we've been talking about for weeks, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first benefit in the life of a Christian is this, we have peace with God. We are reconciled with God. Now, the phrase that's being used here for peace, shalom, means a couple of different things depending on the context, especially here in the New Testament where it's talking about salvation. Because the idea to the Jewish people of shalom, of peace, was basically the end of all striving, the end of all strife, the end of toil, the the way in which you kind of want everything to work out. So whatever the life is that you've projected out ahead of you um, and you're going like, this is what I want life to look like, Shalom is basically experiencing that working out in all the ways that you want it to. Now, uh, now to the Jewish people, shalom was a specific thing. Uh, this sense of deep and profound peace could only come from being in the presence of God and being one of his people and living as he called you to live in a community like he called you to live in. But this idea of the peace of God cannot exist, according to the New Testament, According to what we read about here with Paul, the peace of God cannot exist without peace in God, peace with God. So, so that in that way, what he's talking about, Paul, is that the first benefit of being a Christian is simply this, that you were once at war with God. You're like, I don't know that I'd go that far. I don't know that I'd say I was at war with God. I'm not really going to war with anybody. I'm not that kind of a person, right? Well, what happens when we sin and when we do what we choose over what God chooses is that we are essentially saying, even though, God, you're the one in charge of my life, of this whole world, even though you say it should be this, I've decided to take the reins from you and say, no, now it's going to be me. It's going to be my way. It's going to be my way of doing things. And when we do that, we wrestle away authority from God and take it upon ourselves. And when we do that, like any opposing force coming into a kingdom, challenging a ruler, we say to God, you're not in charge. I challenge you. Now, it's a very bad idea to do that, but we do it anyway. Because this ruler, this king can defeat you with the snap of a finger. This, this king, uh, there's, no, there's no contest, there's no battle, there's no fairness to it at all. So it would be very unwise to challenge this king, and yet we do again and again and again. And we don't think of it that way, but Paul, being brutally honest, is saying, you are, hopefully have gotten the point up until these first five chapters that you have gone to war with God. And that you've been separated and divided from him. And so because of that, your life has been a life lived in rebellion against him. And so the good news for the Christian is that they can have peace finally with God. You're reconciled with him. And the good news of that is that you now can just kind of have this sigh of relief that comes from going, all of the things that I, my angst and my striving and my stress and my worry and my exerting and my exhaustion and all of the toil that comes from living in the flesh and all that stuff, even a lot of it focused on the things that I truly want and I care about and I'm invested in, all of that exhausting stuff can be over for you now because you have reached shalom. You have reached the peace of God that has been accomplished for you through Jesus. And so the good news is you can just 
take it easy. Peace, the idea of peace, it is such an elusive one for almost all of us, is it not? It does not matter your station in life, your life stage. It doesn't matter uh, what your job looks like or how many kids you have, whether it's zero or one or 11. Peace is a lot more elusive than we think it often is going to be. The idea of truly resting and knowing that what needs to be done has been done is the good news of the peace that we have with God. And so Paul says, first and foremost, because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And that is a tremendous benefit for us. We've been given something more valuable than an amazing house, more valuable than an incredible job, more valuable than the perfect children and the perfect amount of children and the perfect gender and amount of children and the perfect behaving children who moved out at just the right time and didn't stay a day longer than they should have, right? Even more than all of what comes with that, what God has given us with peace in him is truly greater. It's something that has been done for you in the work of Jesus. And so in a sense, if you're a Christian today, it's a thing that sort of exists in your past. Uh, you know, we think of it as like, uh, you know, the point at which I got saved is the point at which I was at peace with God. And if you're not a Christian and you're new to this and you're hearing this, then, uh, then you're not at a point yet where you're at peace with God because you're still kind of at war with this king, whether you like to think of it that way or not, which is why for you, the most important thing that you could possibly do in life at any point, like right here, right now, today, this morning, here in this service is to say, I want to be at peace with God. I do not want to to be at odds with this God because I recognize that that is the only way that I'm ever going to actually truly be okay, who he created me to be. The first benefit that we have is one that for many of us, it exists in the past. Um, and that's kind of how it works in the life of a Christian. The peace that comes through knowing what has already been accomplished for us. There was no more striving. There was no more toil I mean, think about what it would be like if all the stuff that you're dealing with in life, you dealt with knowing that you're already at a point of peace, having accomplished all of the most important things that you have to accomplish in your life. Can you even imagine what that would be like? How that would feel? Well, that's what it is like. That is the truth, says Paul. So he's kind of saying to the church nicely, you know, so, you know, let's think about that. Let's, let's reflect on that a little bit. The second thing he goes on to say is this, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So there's peace for what happened with you and God that joined you with God and put you in a good place with him. Then he says there is grace in which you're presently standing. So we've moved from the past tense to the present tense, and now this is life here and now today. For the life of a Christian, the greatest benefit in the present, right here and now, is that you have access to God through grace. So this grace that's being talked about is the words, the word, like the, this is the language that is going to be used for if, if you uh, know someone who is connected to an incredibly important person. And, and the only way that you could ever have any kind of an introduction to that person or relationship with that person is if someone comes in between and says, oh, I know them. You want, do you want to meet them? You could meet them, sure, right? You want to get into the club? You can't get into the club. I know someone whose name is on the list. Now I'm in. We'll say restaurant. Amen. <laughs> we'll stick with restaurant. If you know the right people, you have access to important people. This is what this grace is. So this isn't just talking really about like grace and, and sin and that kind of thing. It's talking about what it means to be given something that you don't deserve yourself because the only way that you're going to have access to God is because of something beyond what you've done. So what this means is that in the life of a Christian today, in the life of anyone here, any of us here who are believers today, who have been justified by faith and not by our own works and our own efforts, what that means is that today you live with the power in, to have a relationship with God, for Him to be actively involved in your life, doing things, present with you in your life, in a way that you don't deserve, that if you ever stop and think about it, is absolutely crazy. We live 
in the presence of God because of grace. Paul says, the good news is that you can rejoice in the fact that you have grace in which you stand today. You have this extra thing. And because of that, uh, the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms and changes your life, you internally, the things that are happening, that are involving you. Uh, the, the, the power of God is very much present in your life, doing incredible things. The greatest and most important thing being that the power of God is giving you his presence in your life. So when you talk to him, you're talking to God. When you, uh, when you spend time with him, you are opening yourself up to the God of the universe. How in the world could that possibly happen? Because of grace. It's not anything that you did. It's because of something that Jesus did. And that is the greatest benefit for the Christian in life today, presently, right now. So now, the way I stand is I stand in this grace of God, and it gives me the ability to be in his presence and for him to be an active part of my life today. It changes everything about who I am, about the way the world and I interact with one another, about the relationships that I have, about what it means to be a part of anything like the church or a family or the company that I work for. It changes the way that I relate to my enemies and my friends, the people that I love and the people that I hate. And all of that is changed because of the grace of God giving his presence to me now, right here today. He goes on beyond that, and he talks about the future. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So because of what's happened in the past, and because of what you are experiencing in the present, What that is going to do is it is going to remind you again and again of how great the future is going to be. So the more the closer that you grow with God today, the more you anticipate being with God in the future. So for a lot of people, I know this was true for me, prior to knowing God personally, the idea of even heaven was not a good idea. It was not a good thought to me. I didn't look forward to it. I didn't think it sounded great. I thought it sounded, at best, boring. At worst, terrifying. I mean, I really did think it would be like robes and harps and clouds, and I thought, that's going to get old, you know? I don't care how much you love harps and robes and clouds, and I know people who love all three of those things passionately. They do. But it's going to get old, I thought. The idea of anticipating the glory of God, anticipating and hoping in that, of all the things that my hope is wrapped up in in my life, that being what my hope is wrapped up in, I don't think so. But the thing about being justified by faith and having access to God is that because of what's happened in the past and because of where I'm living in the present, it actually begins to reshape what I look forward to next. It really does. We experience this in life, how the things that we look forward to one day, you, you fast forward a few years and you realize I'm looking forward to different things because I've seen how short these things fall. Or maybe, uh, for many, we actually got the thing that we were looking forward to. And we realized that it wasn't quite as ideal as we thought. And so then we're like, man, what now? Or, or, or what, what's better? What, 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 what else? What Paul says is very simple. Uh, we have the benefit, those who follow Christ, of looking ahead to the glory of God. Our hope is in that thing. These are the best things about being a Christian, according to Paul. These are the benefits of being a Christian. The past, the present, and the future. And lots of other great things come from being a follower of Jesus, but none are as good and important as these gifts that Paul is talking about here. Community is great. Understanding the right way to live and and, and act and and even behave based on the truth of God and his word is an incredibly valuable thing. But these things... The peace, of what, uh, the peace that we have with God being reconciled with him, the grace that we have and the access, the access that we have to him through his Holy Spirit now and the hope that we get to look forward to are by far the greatest benefits in the life of a Christian. 
Paul goes on to talk about how, uh, how this builds on and incorporates something that is a part of life for everyone. He says this, not only that, so not only do we have these amazing things as the benefits in the life of a Christian, but we rejoice in sufferings, in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is no crazier thing to claim than that we rejoice in our sufferings. I mean, what is wrong with this guy? Let's be honest, right? You know, we're like, I'd love to meet Jesus. That would be really great. Paul, I'm not so sure I want to run into Paul. This guy seems pretty weird, and he's definitely a masochist. I mean, he clearly likes pain. He likes bad things happening, and he wants me to like it too. And I'm okay not liking bad things happening, honestly. I'm pretty okay with that. He rejoices in sufferings. Wait, we all rejoice in sufferings? Yeah, we totally do, Paul. That's totally how we feel. Paul is saying that not only are these three things so, so good, but they also change, have the power to literally change suffering in the life of a believer. The word for suffering here is pressure. It's when the pressure, when forces are pushing on something and they're just putting a tremendous amount of weight on that thing. In the life of a Christian, anyone reading the words of Paul knows what it is to experience pressure. But in the first century church, you want to talk about pressure. They experience the same things that we do today in financial uncertainty, in sickness, in relational division, and all kinds of things. But they experience persecution. They experience pain and suffering because of their faith on a level that we don't begin to understand through the comfortable lives that we have as Christians in America today. And so people who felt a tremendous amount of pressure, Paul's words to them is, you can rejoice in those things. Sometimes the trouble that we face is directly the fault of other people, even other groups of people. Like we can see how it's traced uh, to a clear cause, a clear person, a clear group of people, a clear situation. Other times we experience pain that we can't really blame anybody for. We experience suffering like, like sickness. We lose the people that we love. The economy tanks. Something crazy happens in our house floods or something. And we go, I can't blame this on anybody, but it's awful. The pressure is there. And the one thing that we know for sure is that the good things in our lives don't actually end up being all that helpful to us when the suffering comes. In fact, it seems as though when suffering comes, the good things in our lives, they might actually make it worse. Now, hear me out on this, okay? The problem with suffering is that it has the ability to take away from us the things that we care about the most. Through sickness, through uncertainty, through uh, relationships, not going the way we want, through our own shortcomings, our own problems, us, us being the ones that create the suffering in our own lives even. We recognize that when suffering and trial come, that it actually has the ability to cause us to lose the things that we love and care about the most, which is exactly why we don't like suffering. We're like, when I'm honest, the last thing I want to do is lose this thing. The last thing I want to do is for life to start going that way. And so it turns out that the very things that we think will help us if life gets hard end up making it all the more terrifying when things start to go south. Because we go, I can't lose this thing. I can't run the risk of that. All the things that we consider good and we take joy from can be taken from us. Very few of them can be any help to us during pain and suffering. Our culture itself is not equipped to handle suffering. 
The culture in which we live today is not uh, set up in such a way that it can explain, give a rationale for, or help us through suffering in a positive way. Uh, I was reading um, a quote from a doctor, this doctor named Paul Brand, who works with people with leprosy, and he's worked with people throughout the world. And one quote that, that he gave, he said this, in the United States, I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Patients lived at a greater comfort level than any I had previously treated, but they seemed far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. I don't think that surprises us to hear that. Why is that true? Because in the culture in which we live, suffering makes no sense. It can only rob us of the things that we love the most. There is definitely nothing good about it. And it doesn't seem to bring us together or help us to grow as much as we would all like to think that it would. So we don't have like, a, like a, an answer for it in the world in which we live, in the culture in which we live. And it runs the danger of causing us to even the things that we love. I, I love my family and I care about my family and I, and, I, and, I, and I love them so much and they bring me so much joy. Of course, they would not make suffering worse. They would make suffering better. But if you lose your job, if you get sick, if we go to war, the family that is a benefit in my life now in many ways makes all of these things harder, does it not? I need to be healthy for my family. I need money for my family. I want safety and security for my family. The pressure is even greater, it seems. Success is great. It's something we all want, whether it's in simply being creative and being able to express who God's made us to be, whether it's in business, whether it's wanting respect and seeing it and achieving it from other people, a sense of accomplishment, making some kind of an impact in the world. These are good things. This, these are things that should help us if suffering comes along, if trials come along. But when I get sick, success stops dead in its tracks. If I lose my job, the accomplishment ends. If we go to war, my creativity and the things that I've been working so hard to build, they now seem a lot less relevant, a lot less significant and important to this greater threat at hand. You see, even the things that, that, that we find so much joy in don't necessarily help us through suffering. And so the result of it is that we see trial and suffering much the way that our outside culture sees it. It's bad and it's something to be avoided and it's something to run away from as fast as you can. And Paul has the gall to say with such joy that we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because of what sufferings do. You see, the benefits that we have from being a Christian, and this is what makes them so, so amazing, or one of the things that does, is that these benefits that we have being Christians, they actually are strengthened when we suffer. They don't go away. Everything else in life, we, we lose something. It, it, it starts to suffer. But when suffering comes in, these things that God gives us, actually, we grow in these things. We are forced in a position to where the peace of God, the grace of God, and the hope that we have in God now grow exponentially. They thrive in an environment that is hard. So as difficult as suffering may be, the Christian has the absolute clearest view of just how much purpose there is when pain comes into our lives. And without that, there is no purpose for pain and suffering that come into our lives. And we are hopeless. He says it does something very specific. It produces endurance. Endurance is, is going beyond what's normal. There's the, there's the regular amount of effort, and then there is pushing past that because suffering forces us to. And the result of that is that we begin to endure, whereas yesterday we were just kind of going at a regular pace. Now, these words, they get translated in such interesting ways because they mean these fascinating things. Because this word endurance is actually used a lot to talk about things getting denser. 
I mean, there really is no better example than like the idea of how a diamond is formed, uh, where a tremendous amount of pressure is exerted um, onto an element, and the result of that is that it produces something that is so, so dense and so, so strong that, that it is now greater than it was before. This is what endurance is, is it is a thing growing denser and denser, which is us, and, and who we truly are as things are stripped away during suffering, and, and this is what endurance is. Suffering makes us resilient, it makes us stronger, it makes us able to endure more today than we were able to endure yesterday. And endurance, he says, produces character. And who doesn't want character, right? Yay! Character! That's all I want in life is character. This word character is the word that gets used in the purification of a thing. I know, it's weird. I don't know what to tell you. Okay, I'm just trying to explain it the best I can, but that is what it means. This word character means the true, uh, the true identity of a thing, right? It's easier to think of it that way, right? So there's who I say I am, and then there's who trials show that I am. And that person, my character comes out. My true character comes out. And what happens? Now, one of the analogies that we read about in the Bible, and where this word gets used a lot in, in the Greek language, is the purification of metal. Right? So metal is heated up due to a fire, because of a fire, and the fire causes the impurities to rise to the surface. They can be scraped off, and what's left is something that is more pure. The refining fire of trial through endurance, staying in the fire. So the Christian is one who says, I can stay in the fire because I know that it produces something. Everyone else is like, I'm out of here. There is absolutely nothing good that's going to come of this. All it's going to do is cause all the things I love to burn up in my life. And the Christian says, no, I stay and I endure because I know that God is doing something, because he is refining me in the midst of this thing. And the result of that is a character that I actually feel better about than I would have before. Because the person who's being produced is greater than the person who was there before. Is this person real or are they just a facade? And he says that character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. So that true character produces in us the ability to now really, truly, sincerely want and look forward to who God is and what he promises us in the future. If we're all very honest, we could go a long way. We could grow quite a bit in actually genuinely wanting what God wants. We know we should want what God wants, but we don't want what God wants. We know we should hope for what God tells us to hope for, but we know that we don't hope for that in the way that we should. And this is like a cycle is what Paul's saying. He's saying these good things are things that you grow in, and because of these good things, when trial comes, it doesn't burn you up and eat you up and destroy your life. It actually makes you stronger, and it makes things better uh, because it causes these things in you to grow. It's kind of like if, you, uh, if you've ever heard about like the lava vents on the bottom of the deepest parts of the ocean where it's just freezing cold and uh, there's these vents where like really hot water comes out, uh, not water, but hot stuff comes out, gases and stuff, and, and, and it heats up the water. So it's kind of like a little jacuzzi jet, you know, you get over next to the jet, it feels really good, it's really hot right there where the hot water's coming out. Well, it turns out you go down to the deepest parts of the ocean, and guess what? These things that seem way too hot to sustain any kind of life, nothing would be there. That's where all the life is, and that's where all the life grows, and that's where all the life congregates. Why? Because that's where the heat is. This is what trials do, says Paul, in the life of the believer. And this is why the benefits of being a Christian are so incredibly beneficial, because they have the power to cause us to grow and thrive in situations that would otherwise burn up and consume and destroy us and the things that we love. So if suffering has lost its power, 
This is like a totally different way of living our lives. This is like, this is like being bulletproof. This is like a person, you see the scene in the movie where the person gets shot and they're, they're shot, they're dead. There's no way they're coming back. And it's like, oh, it's so sad. And we've had this horrible, epic, sad ending. And then like the person like rips the thing open and the bulletproof vest and it's got the little bullet. And then they start coughing and they come back to life. This moment you see the bulletproof vest and the bullet, you're like, okay, they're fine. They're totally fine, right? And man, it hurt though. They went, oh God, yeah, I've got some bruises. I think I cracked some ribs or something. This is not good. But you know they're okay because this is a, this is a completely different situation. When, when, when the pain and suffering of life comes for the life of a believer, uh, it does not destroy the life of the believer or the believer themselves. And this is a totally, totally different way of living life. You can tell someone to think positive all you want. You can talk about doors closing and windows opening and getting lemons and making lemonade. But when we're honest, those are all just ways that a world with no hope tries to spin things that are hard and say, it may not be as bad. You know what you get with lemons? You get lemon juice. Who wants a big tall glass of lemon juice? Okay, Brennan May does, of course. I should have thought about that. I don't want a big tall glass of lemon juice. You want lemonade, you're going to need a whole lot of sugar. And where's that supposed to come from? Life gives you lemons, you make lemon juice. Closes a door, sorry, the door's closed. We try to have these ways of positively spinning things, but the truth is that when stuff starts to happen and it gets difficult, uh, it is difficult. And it is burning up the things around us that we care about. And it is often burning up who we are. Without these things that Paul tells us are the benefits that God offers. It is a cycle. We talked last week about faith is trusting God and the things he promises. We trust in God. We choose to walk like that. Life gets hard. Stuff starts to fall apart. God uses this to make us better at what? Trusting in God. And so now we take some steps forward and we trust more and we are able to trust better. We're able to see clearly. And a lot of it had to do with just letting go of things because that's what trust is. Trust is letting go of the things that take your weight off of this. So if the idea is that hope helps us longer and longer that we live, to trust in God. It means we're becoming more and more dependent on him and not on other things. Get my board out. This is God, okay? This beautiful five-quarter piece of white oak. We got these beautiful white oak trees. This is not where this came from. Out in our parking lot. And I see these things, and the Bible talks about the tree and with the roots that is steady, the oaks of righteousness, the things that grow, the things that will not go anywhere, and, and I can see that. And the Bible talks about God being someone that we can put our weight into, our faith in, and trust. And so it tells us that basically it says, God says to you, lean on me. He says, lean on me, lean on me, and I can take it. And so we lean, we lean. And the more that we lean, the more that we trust in God, the more that we let go of and take weight off of the other things. And this is what trusting, here, I'll do it like this so you can see God, but I'm probably going to fall, okay? And the more that we do this, and that's what you all want to see anyway, and the more that we do this, the more that we can let go of these other things, because this is what happens. So if this is the life of a believer, we say, you know, you know, I used to be really stressed about my bank account. I used to be really stressed about how much money I had because I needed to have enough. And, and then the thing that happened that I realized was, you know, the more that I, I started trying to trust in God, the more that I realized that, 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 that money wasn't actually what was going to take care of me. It was Him. And, and so the result of that is that the more that I leaned into Him, the more that I leaned into Him, the more that I let go of those other things, the more that I said, I don't need uh, as much of that stuff. I can be more generous. I can care less about where the next paycheck is going to come. I can be less worried about the state of the economy and my portfolio because I trust more in him. And I tr I'm not going to do it. This is going to terrify me. I trust more in him and not in these other things. You say, man, I, I, I care so much about 
my health. I, 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 I used to worry a lot about, about, am I okay? Am I as fit as I need to be? Am I as healthy as I need to be? Have I all, gotten all the checkups that I need to get? Um, I worry about the health of myself and my family because so much is wrapped up in that thing. And the more that I trust in God, the more that I rely on and I lean into God, I lean into God, the more that I can let go of the fear that I have with these other things, the more I can let go and I can stop worrying and I can say, you know what? It's not all wrapped up in that thing that I thought it was. I find that I, you know, I used to, uh, you know, for so long, feel so cynical towards people. I, I mean, to be honest, like, even the most positive way I could put it maybe is that just over time as you live life, people are going to let you down again and again and again. And I started to realize more and more that I'm not ever going to get what I expect to get out of people. People are going to blow it, and they're going to let me down, and, and it's going to frustrate me. And so I start to feel callous towards people. I start to feel like maybe relationships aren't as important as I thought they were. Maybe I don't need other people like I thought I did. Or I go the other way. I, I constantly am so insecure, and I'm worried about what people think of me and about the relationships that I'm going to have. But you know what I found? I found that as I grow as a Christian, as I trust in God, that I lean into him. And as I lean into him, as I put my weight into him, I find that I realize, wait, I don't really, my hope isn't in people. My, my, I, I can have a healthy view of other people. They can let me down. They can blow it. They cannot be the ideal friend. They cannot be the perfect spouse. They cannot be the perfect kids. And it's okay because what is my weight in? What is my trust in? What am I leaning on? Am I leaning on them and those things? No, I'm leaning on God. Because what it means to have faith what it means to trust is to take the weight of my body and to lean it into God and to say, I trust in you. And that lets me all of a sudden start to be free. I let go of the things that I had to hang on to and hold on to before. Then it gets even harder. Then the pressure comes and the trials come and the suffering comes. And it's almost like I was already putting all this weight on God. And they say, are you really going to put your weight on God? Well, if so, then put this much weight on God. And as the pressure pushes on to us, God says, I can handle the pressure. I can take the pressure. So give it to me. Lean into me. Trust in me now like you never, ever trusted in me before. Because everything is at stake. And so you lean every bit of weight that you have onto God when that happens. If this is what faith looks like and this is what hope looks like, then Paul asks the question that we all want to know the answer to, which is this. What if it's in vain? What if that hope were to not actually pull through for me in the end. He says, and hope does not put us to shame. What is the result of all of these things that God is doing in our lives that he's done for us is our hope is being built up and it is being refined and it is being strengthened. So if I'm going to put all the weight that I have into this thing, what if it turns out that that thing isn't really there? What if it turns out that that thing isn't really able to hold my weight? What if my hope has been in vain? What if my hope ends up putting me to shame and not being something that delivers? One of the things that I've learned as a Christian, and as I've talked with people about God so much, is that our fear of that board not being there, it's not actually a logical fear in the existence of God. It actually has a lot more to do with the question of, does God actually really love me? It is not actually, does God exist? Is God real? It is, as we live our lives and all this crazy stuff around us happens, it's actually the question that comes to mind again and again that causes us to doubt is, yeah, but can I really put my weight into God and trust that he actually loves me? That he actually cares about me? Or is he just going to walk away at some point? I mean, honestly, I do some pretty messed up stuff. I was supposed to be further along at this point. I was supposed to show something for all the work that he's done for me, and I don't know that I feel like I can do that. Does he love me, really? Paul knows that this is the issue. This is the question. And so his response to this question, this huge question, is this. How do I know that my hope is not going to put me to shame? How do I know that I can trust that God actually does love me? 
really loves me? And Paul's answer is this. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul's answer to the church, his answer to us now, is here's how you know that you can trust that God loves you today, he will love you tomorrow, and that no matter what you do, he will love you. Because his greatest act of love towards you happened when you were at your absolute furthest from him. I mean, the logic of this is pretty sound, isn't it? Nobody's going to die for the enemy. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want my friends to. I wouldn't want my children to. Why? Because I care more about my friends than about their enemies. I care more about my children than about their enemies. I care more about myself than about my enemies. I do not think I could do that because I just don't love other people more than I love myself the way that you would have to in order to die for your enemy. Paul's words to the church are words to remind us This is how you know that you can trust God. That while we were enemies of his, that he gave his son for us so that we could have life in him and find our hope in him. This is the opposite of the way that relationships and love work for the rest of us, right? We make the oath and the pledge of commitment. We choose a person usually at their best, right? I mean, you even fall in love with your kids when they're like the cutest, most innocent version of themselves, right? And then, and then it's like, then, then they start to get weird, you know? And you're like, okay, this is going to take some work, right? And then they start to hate your guts and you're like, this is really going to take some work, right? We, we, we fall in love and we get married and we look at this person and we say, this person is perfect, they're amazing, they're the only one that I want on the whole planet. We, we are used to relationships forming when things are at their best and people are at their best and we're putting our best effort in. And Paul's saying, that's not how it works with God and you. I don't think there's any greater news than this. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of how we know that our assurance is not in what we are doing for ourselves or who we're becoming. God is growing our faith and growing our hope and growing our ability to love him and to depend on him. And how do we know that we can lean all the weight that we have onto him, especially when the trials and the pain and the suffering come? How do we know that we can do that and we will not be put to shame? Because we know that he will not abandon us, no matter what we do, who we are, or what circumstances come. It will feel at times probably like he has, because our moods change. It will feel at times like, why on earth would God actually uh, love me? Or how can I know that he loves me based on the things that I'm going through and the suffering I'm going through? Paul's response to that is simple. You know he loves you because this suffering that you're enduring, it is bringing you closer to him. And he knows that there is nothing greater for you than himself. There is nothing greater for your life than himself. That's hard truth for us because we want the things that we enjoy other than God to be the most important things much of the time. The question that we all ask is this, like, do I, am I leaning the weight of my life onto God. All of the things that are happening, all the things that are freaking me out, all the stuff that is making it confusing and noisy right now in my life, is that stuff amped up and turned up and hard to see through and hard to hear through because, when I'm honest, the weight just isn't there? That it would be a lot easier if I could just say, do you know what? I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to lean into Him. I'm going to lean into him with my family, with my money, with my attitude, with my beliefs, with my behavior, with all of it. 
I'm going to give it to him, and I'm going to trust that he can do a whole lot more with it. And what I'll find is that I'll begin to be able to let go of these other things that are causing so much pain in my life. And what grows from that is hope. That a few days down the road, that my hope in him might be greater than it is now. There are so many who have, here in this room with us today, there's so many of you who have been around the church maybe your entire lives and still hearing that message, hearing those words, getting that reminder that ours is a God who loved you when you were in the depths of your sin. When that Jesus said, Father, forgive them of the very people who were crucifying him. That that is where the relationship started. It didn't start because God was like, you know what you are? You're a good investment. And in a couple of years, you're going to pay off super well. And then we all look back and go, I don't know that I've really done quite quite as well as I thought I would. The good news is that is the gospel. And for those of you who have never heard that good news and are here today, know this, that is the gospel. The gospel is not God helps those who help themselves. The gospel is not these are ways that God can make all the other areas of your life even better, so come here and you'll do well. The answer is God is here to tell you that I am the greatest thing to hope in. I give life, I give hope, I give grace, I give joy, and I give peace. Ultimately, according to Paul, what all of this leads to is joy. A life of deep and profound and transforming joy. Joy that exists and even thrives in the midst of some of the hardest circumstances that there can be. This is what he offers us, and there is nothing greater. Let's pray. Father, the concept of trusting and leaning into you is a simple one, and yet it is one that, well, it's very easy to talk about. It's very easy to think about. It's very easy to pray about even. It's another thing altogether to just begin to do it, Lord. Would you help each and every one of us here to recognize What may be keeping us from leaning into you, Lord, from putting our weight onto you and knowing that you can handle it? God, for anyone here who is afraid to do that, who is afraid to trust you because they're just not sure that you really love them, that you really actually have their best in mind, that you really actually care, care about what happens to them, Lord, would you show them the power of these words, of Paul's argument to the church in Rome. These are not easy things for us to accept, God. It's not the way that we think the world works, but it is the way you work, Lord. That's why we praise you, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.